I should apologize before I give this sermon. I really try hard most weeks to look around the congregation and make eye contact with as many people as I can. However, <laughs> um, as you may have heard me mention once or twice in the last two months, uh, my wife has been living in New York while I've been out here. She got here last night and is sitting right back there. So if I'm just looking here, <laughs> Kay, I promise I'm not staring at you. Stacy is sitting right behind you. <laughs> so early on a fall morning in 1980, seven men and one woman walked into a GE plant in Pennsylvania. They weren't supposed to be there. They were worried that at the last moment, months of planning might collapse. They were visibly nervous as they walked into the plant. One of the men split off towards the security guard. The security guard started reaching for his phone and the intruder into the plant pinned him against the wall. The woman who was there slammed her hand on the phone. Knowing that security backup would be delayed, the other six proceeded on to the target, the factory floor, where the GE plant built missiles for the United States Strategic Air Command. Minutes later, the base security arrived on the factory floor and were puzzled because in all their training, all their experience, all their expectation about folks breaking in to a military facility, what they did not expect to find was half a dozen monks and one nun pounding on missile warheads with hammers. When confronted by the security team, they surrendered immediately. The events at the King of Prussia plant that September morning were the first actions of a group that calls themselves the Plowshares Movement. Phil Berrigan was the leader of that first protest. He was at various times a Roman Catholic priest, a leader of draft protests during the war in Vietnam, a multiple nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize. Berrigan and several of his friends chose the name the Plowshares Movement as a direct reference to uh, a scripture passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 2, which, which goes, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Nation shall not rise up against nation. Their spears into pruning hooks, and neither shall they learn to war no more. We're talking this month about what it means to be a people of courage. And to me, there is no finer example of courage in religious life than the folks of the Plowshares Movement. Religion takes courage innately. There, there's a courage in simply coming into community, into a place like this, and saying, of all the things in the world, to believe this is what I choose, this is where I go. But there is another kind of courage often seen in public demonstrations of deeply held beliefs especially when those beliefs are not universally held. The folks that broke into the King of 
Prussia plant 30 years ago were not under any illusions that hammering on missiles was going to bring about an end to the Cold War. Rather, it was an action to do two things. First, to demonstrate the strength of conviction that they had, and to start a conversation around the moral justification for war. Now, we're not a, a peace church. The Unitarian Universalist Association is not like the Quakers or the Mennonites. We don't advocate pacifism universally. It is entirely possible to be a faithful Unitarian Universalist and believe that war is justified. Many of us do. But there's a long tradition in Unitarian Universalism of engagement with the peace movement. I came to Unitarian Universalism through anti-war demonstrations. Some of my first mentors at the Unitarian Church of Binghamton, New York, actually they're a congregation, they wouldn't like me calling them a church, the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Binghamton, New York. They spent a week down at Fort Benning, Georgia every year protesting the School of the Americas. So while we're not a peace church, there's a long engagement with the peace movement in our buildings. I, this is a, a personal fascination of mine, this piece of our history. There's a, a minister that I've written about quite a bit named Jenkin, or John Haynes Holmes. There's another one also in the peace movement named Jenkins Lloyd-Jones. But John Haynes Holmes is famous for a sermon and speeches that he gave in 1917. He reflected back years later in his autobiography about a morning in 1917 where he said, it would be fo folly, if not actual falsehood, for me to declare that I was not afraid that Sunday morning. The truth is, I was scared when I opened the door leading into my pulpit, still more scared when I saw the throng which had gathered to hear me. A good proportion of this crowd were my own people. I could see their kindly faces looking out at me. Others were curiosity seekers, still others seekers after the latest sensation of the hour. In 1917, Holmes stood up in his pulpit two weeks before the United States declared war on Germany and said that this is an immoral war. The front page headline of the New York Times the next day, this is back when Unitarians made the front page of the New York Times, <laughs> reads, Holmes won't fight, so offers to resign. Trustees call pacifist, pacifist pastor an impractical idealist but won't drop him. Holmes was one of the most prominent pacifist voices on the East Coast. And he was suddenly in a very uncertain position in an uncertain time. There were calls to ban his writing. The Board of Trustees at then Church of the Messiah in New York uh, met and voted to, uh, to publicly disagree with him, uh, but publicly support his right to be disagreeable. That, that summer, Holmes debated former President Taft, who was a Unitarian, the General Assembly over the denomination's support of the war. Holmes lost the debate and the vote 
but he continued on in his own way. It's worth noting that Holmes was not the only Unitarian peace activist of his generation. Arthur Weatherly, who was here as the minister of then All Souls Unitarian Church of Lincoln, was a delegate on the 1915 peace uh, mission that, Gerald, that um, Henry Ford organized to go to Europe. They went to Europe, a bunch of idealists, to end the First World War. They ended up in Sweden. They did not end the war. But when you look up a list of who's who in the peace movement in 1915, many of them were on that boat. Unlike Holmes, Weatherly's relationship with his congregation, this congregation, suffered because of his activism. In 1920, he was asked to leave. He actually came back 10 years later. He retired from here in 1942. If you walk into our library, uh, there's a picture of him because the library started out as his personal collection. So all the old books in our church library are mostly Arthur we Weatherly's. There's a lot of, of this story that I've started to dig into and, and want to do more of, but haven't yet. Weatherly wasn't the only member of this church on that 1915 delegation. C.A. Sorensen was part of the delegation that went to Sweden to end the First World War, and, and he was not asked to leave. He became a major figure in the history of the congregation, and nowhere have I found the full story of how that happened. So that will be a sermon in a couple months. Weatherly, Holmes, the women and men of the Plowshares movement, all of them courageous in their own ways. Erica Hewitt reminds us that, that courage comes from the French word for heart. All of them listen to the call of their heart over and above any practical analysis of what was best for them or what had a chance of changing society. And so when we look at the world today, who is it that's out there demonstrating the courage of their convictions? I would say that Colin Kaepernick is as good as an example as anywhere. Now, bear with me, because Colin Kaepernick is uh, a player for the other football league. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick plays for the NFL, which as I understand it, I get it, it's an it's a inferior product to college football. <laughs> but it is part of the national conversation. So Kaepernick, for most of his career, has been a, a quarterback with the San Francisco 49ers. A couple years ago when I lived in Baltimore, Baltimore made it to the Super Bowl and played the 49ers. So Kaepernick was the, the rival star of the rival team. He's had his ups and downs professionally, but at his best was one of the most dynamic and unpredictable players at his position. He's also a, a thoughtful guy. He has for his entire career taken his position of influence very, very seriously. And so about a year ago, Colin Kaepernick decided that he would stop standing for the national anthem. 
at the beginning of football games. At first, he, he sat through the anthem, and then after a couple games, he started kneeling. He had had a conversation with a veteran who, who said, um, you know, if your point is not to disrespect the flag, as I, then, then you should kneel, because kneeling is the sign that you make at a funeral. When you hand a folded flag to a family, it's handed by a, a kneeling service member. So Kaepernick kneeled each week to bring attention to systemic injustice in American society, to continue to bring attention to the ongoing examples of police brutality, a system that shows day after day after day that black lives seem not to matter as much as others. This summer, Kaepernick parted ways with the 49ers and he has not worked since. No other team in the National Football League hired him. His protest appears to have ended his playing career, not as he was about to retire, but when he was in his prime. This has been in the news a lot over the last week, more earlier in the week than later, as the President of the United States has chosen for reasons known only to him to pick a fight with the National Football League. One might hope there are more important things to pay attention to. The response from NFL players and owners has been positive, but has in some ways obscured the reason for the protest. The reality that those same owners, joining their, their players in protest this week, are the same owners that haven't hired Colin Kaepernick. These examples seem extreme in part, I think, because plowshares, pacifists, Colin Kaepernick, the demonstrations use powerful symbols. It is a difficult thing to be asked to consider if weapons and wars we are told are necessary for our safety actually are. I struggle with the protests during the anthem. I have taken an oath of office in my life. I've, I've been at funerals that end with the presentation of a flag. The, the ideals that the flag stand for are near and dear to my heart. There's a lot of red, white, and blue in my office. And it is exactly because the flag is so important that the protest cuts through so much of the fog of the day-to-day, week-to-week news cycle. It's a, it's a cliche, but perhaps a true one, to say that courage is not a lack of fear. It is instead the ability to act even though you are afraid. Weatherly and Kaepernick were probably worried about losing their jobs. Weatherly wrote when he came back here that I, I have spent 10 years in purgatory. The nuns and priests of the plowshares movement almost certainly didn't want to go to jail, but they did anyway. Courage, what we're talking about this month, comes in, in small moments. As much as moments on a big stage, the, the courage to steal yourself and go to a doctor's appointment, 
despite the fear of what you might hear. The courage to reach out to a family member that you haven't talked to in a while, not knowing what the response will be. The courage to live a life of integrity in ways big and small. Doug Zelensky once wrote about Unitarian Universalists that unique among the faiths, Unitarian Universalism proclaims the ordinary but decisive moments of human agency as the key to creating beloved community rather than any particular system of belief. Ordinary but decisive moments of human agency where we follow what our heart is telling us, not what we think will have the best result. Moments when our heart calls us to action despite our fears. This is the stuff of courage. This is the stuff of faith. What is your heart calling for you to do? Blessed be. And now, if you will rise in spirit or in body and join me in singing our closing hymn number 162, Down by the Riverside. I'm sorry, it's actually going to lay down my sword and shield in our hymnal. <laughs> 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 